The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the weekly visit of our good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Now, folks, we've had this show uh, planned, or rather Peter has. He puts all the shows together himself. Uh, called The Real Story of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So we're going to get into that today. But um, many of you will be aware that um, late last week, uh, F.W. de Klerk, the president of South Africa, passed away. And I thought Peter would have uh, something to say about that. So we're going to start off with that today and then get into The Real Story of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which uh, gives us the show title. So what do you have to tell us about F.W. de Klerk, Peter? Well, I actually met him on a number of occasions and had some interesting conversations with him that were very significant, which give us an insight into how the New World Order works and, and pivotal parts of, of recent history which don't exactly fit into the narrative given to us by the lamestream media and their propaganda networks. But at de Klerk, he came in in 1989 as a result of what was effectively a coup d'etat in South Africa. We had a very strong president and President P.W. Borta. He used to be our Minister of Defence and P.W. Borta had uh, quadrupled and increased the South African Defence Force probably uh, over a thousand percent in his time in there. And the South African Defence Force won some of its most spectacular victories under P.W. Borta's presidency. He unleashed us upon the Cubans and Soviet-backed forces in Angola and uh, we won spectacular victories. I could take you to uh, places in Angola, like the Lomba River, which you could actually see even by Google Earth. Um, hundreds of Soviet tanks and armored cars shot out, wrecked, still there um, decades after the um, absolutely cataclysmic battles that ended the hot part of the Cold War in, in Southern Africa. And uh, the, there's no doubt who, who won the war. Um, because we've got graveyards of Soviet tanks, armored cars, hind helicopters, MiGs and so on, littering the landscape there, uh, showing uh, how uh, we completely uh, flattened, destroyed the Soviet forces in Angola to such an extent that the Supreme Communist Commander of Angola, General Arnaldo Okea Sanchez, was executed by firing squad less than a year later in Havana, Cuba. And, you know, you don't shoot the <laughs> commander of the Victoria side. And 
uh, Sanchez was actually a personal friend of Castro, so um, <clears throat> one gets an idea of it was another one of these Stalin show trials. Well, uh, it, interestingly, in 2014, uh, the 20th anniversary of the uh, multiracial elections, the one-man-one-vote elections on a common voters' roll, which uh, has been championed as the great miracle and all that sort of thing, and by the Invictus film and other propaganda. Uh, so I had the opportunity to meet with Mr. de Klerk. Now, I'd, I'd met him earlier. Um, he had invited me along with 200 other church leaders to a national religious conference um, at Presidency, the presidential mansion in Pretoria. And uh, I had refused to shake his hand at that event, which scandalized some of my friends because um, uh, I, I avoided him because I wasn't interested in shaking the hands of this traitor who had just opened the prison doors, released Mandela, unbanned ANC and the Southern Communist Party, uh, beginning to legalize abortion, pornography and all these other evils and Sabbath desecration. And uh, I was mobilizing opposition to de Klerk's policies and uh, we launched Africa Christian Action to particularly fight against the attempts to legalize abortion, pornography and all these other anti-family things that de Klerk was trying to spearhead. And uh, here's de Klerk, uh, who had just been sworn in as president as a result of a coup against our previous president, P.W. Buddha. P.W. Buddha was a strong anti-communist, uh, no compromised man, a, a dedicated Christian, a born-again man, a person I've met and I'm good friends with his daughter, uh, Razan, and um, uh, son-in-law who used to be his bodyguard, uh, Skalk Vaskaki. We helped produce his book, Under Fire in South Africa, which is fascinating insight to that time. But um, uh, P.W. Buddha, they said, had a stroke, but in fact, his bodyguard and son-in-law and others said uh, it, he did not have a stroke, he was poisoned, and it was an attempt to kill him, but he survived. And then they sidelined him, and the clerk took over uh, in a, a basic coup by the um, Brudebont, which is like a Freemason-type group within South Africa, that seized control, kicked out the elected president, and brought in the clerk to basically betray the country at the hands of the communists that uh, P.W. Bote had led us in fighting for the previous several decades. So um, that's just a bit of background. So when I was at this church conference in 1990, and uh, the, uh, I just ignored where everyone was lining up to shake the president's hand, I went to the tea table, and as I got my tea and I turned around, there was the clerk right next to me, presumably coming to get a cup of tea as well. He put out his hand, and I just stared at him, and uh, I didn't put my hand out to shake his hand. And I would have liked to have said something sharp and intelligent, like, I don't shake hands with hands that have shaken hands with terrorists. But unfortunately, I didn't think of that at that time. I just I just glared at him and then walked away uh, with my hands at my side, refusing to shake his hand. And um, uh, that was 1990. Well, my daughter, Daniela, knew about this. And so when she was singing at a special uh, youth choir, uh, she was part of the Cape Town Youth Choir, in, 19, uh, in 2014, this is something like 24 years later, um, she said, uh, you know, please, Dad, I don't want you to make a scene, but President de Klerk is going to be coming to this concert, and, uh, you know, please don't embarrass me. So, okay, you know, for my beloved daughter, I'll, I'll do anything. But I was thinking, how do I use this opportunity? So I'm going to see de Klerk there. I'm determined I'm going to use the opportunity to speak, but I can't be rude because I don't want to embarrass my daughter in front of her friends in the, uh, the choir. Um, well, uh, 
the, the this, this was was kind of a difficult challenge. So I thought about it. Well, the, the film Long Walk to Freedom, Mandela Long Walk to Freedom, had just come out at the end of 2013, which is another scandal in and of itself. How they kept Mandela uh, on a vent on a machine for six months after he had died. He was clinically dead, and they but they weren't ready. For, they wanted to coincide his announced death with the launch of this film and absolutely despicable. But anyway, uh, uh, even though I didn't particularly like Mandela, uh, you shouldn't treat anyone like that. But still, it just shows the cynicism of the people that we're dealing with. So I walked up to Mr. De Klerk uh, during the uh, tea time in the middle of this concert that my daughter was singing. And I said, um, Mr. De Klerk, uh, could I ask you, if you could please correct me if my perception is wrong. I've just seen the Mandela Long Walk to Freedom film, and I said, we're continually being bombarded with disinformation that the ANC won the war, and that Mandela was gracious to his defeated enemies. I always thought that the opposite was true. I thought we had won the war, and our government had chosen to be gracious with our defeated enemies. My understanding is that after a series of stunning military victories in Angola, when we had thoroughly blunted and devastated the communist force in Angola, with the Russians having withdrawn from Angola and the Cubans being withdrawn, with the Berlin Wall having fallen, the Iron Curtain collapsed, as one country after another throughout Eastern Europe overthrew the communist dictators who had oppressed them for decades, that our government in South Africa chose to seize the initiative, initiate negotiations with the ANC and other black nationalist groups to seek a peaceful resolution for all South Africans. So at this, Mr. de Klerk nodded and he heartily agreed and said, yes, that is true. We negotiate from a position of strength. The ANC had lost their Soviet sponsors and we saw an opportunity to seize the initiative and resolve our problems in South Africa, but bring about a constitutional state where the rule of law would guarantee the rights of all. So Mr. de Klerk then smiled at me and said, if we had wanted to, the National Party could still be the government of this country and I could still be its president. To this I added, however... Uh, well, he, he added, however, that would have been at the cost of many more lives being lost in the ongoing war. So I replied to Mr. de Klerk saying there were many South Africans who would gladly have continued fighting against communism and terrorism, especially as far more people have died from crime since than even died during the war. I know, said Mr. de Klerk, but apartheid had to go. We could not fight for an unjust cause. So I respond, but my understanding, Mr. Klerk, is that apartheid had already been rejected by the white South African electorate in the 1983 referendum. In fact, your predecessor, President Peter W. Buller, had abolished virtually every apartheid law before 1989. We were not fighting for apartheid. We were fighting against communism, fighting against terrorism. Well, that is true, said Mr. Klerk. However, that's not the way the world saw it. Until they saw a black president of South Africa, they would not believe that apartheid was abolished. So I said, Mr. De Klerk, do you believe the ANC are being true to the agreement negotiated with your government in 1994? No, he said, they're not. We agreed to a constitutional state where the rule of law applies without any regard to race. So I said, Mr. De Klerk, there are many who are looking to you to set the record straight and remind South Africans that the world, what was negotiated and agreed on in 1994, and Mr. De Klerk thanked me and assured me he'd do so through the De Klerk Foundation. Now, I wrote to him uh, at his address because he gave me his card afterwards, uh, repeating some of these things and asking for his confirmation that I'd understood the situation. And he sent me a letter, signed on letterhead, um, basically restating these very things. We won the war. We initiated the peace. And uh, when I asked him what he thought of the Mandela 
uh, film Long Walk to Freedom, I said, do you think that this film is accurate in how it portrays you? He said, I have not seen the film. I've no intention of seeing the film. I'm sure it's not accurate because it's based on Mandela's book, Long Walk to Freedom. So uh, that, that was all very interesting. Um, here's somebody who played a pivotal role. Now, not that I liked him, but I thought if I couldn't insult him, the least I could do is get some information out of him that could be used to um, expose the dishonesty of the media. So that was my uh, last contact with F.W. de Klerk, not a good man, um, a, a traitor in the eyes of most of my friends who served in the Southern Defense Force, because we did have a position of strength. And that's the point. The way the media is portraying it right now is that somehow South Africa was forced to uh, do these negotiations. In fact, we were not forced because we had beaten the communists in the field. They'd lost their supporters. The Soviets and the Cubans had withdrawn from Angola. We were at, a, at the apex of our political and economic and, and uh, other power in South Africa. South Africa was the superpower, and the ANC no longer had their Soviet backers. The Cold War had uh, been won by the West, lost by the communists. And so at this point, we could have cheerfully ignored the ANC. Uh, so interesting to get a key player in the New World Order, a man who shared a Nobel Peace Prize with Mandela, and we know how those things are handed out um, for political reasons, um, uh, but that he confirmed the fact that, in fact, uh, we negotiate from position of strength. We won the war and we initiate the peace, and the ANC has not been true to the negotiations to start on. Certainly doesn't fit with the narrative of the media, does it, Andrew? It certainly doesn't. And um, you continue to amaze me, Peter, all these, um, you know, people that I bring up and uh, you've uh, ended up speaking with them. And uh, it's really excellent information for, for the show. Uh, and, and when you said that, now a couple of questions, really, it sounded as if um, de Klerk actually, you know, a, a lot of people, I mean, there was a, a, I think Paul Keating in Australia, I played a clip on on. Uh, on the show many years ago of someone confronting him and he was saying things like Tony Blair's a good man and all this and you know and he just cool. wanted to get away from this person but it sounded like the clerk was being a bit more honest with you he could have quite easily said oh I thought that uh, you know it was the right thing to do what we did I know that yeah, but he actually said we had to because the, the the international community wouldn't accept apartheid was over until we had a black president so it seems like he was voicing some sort of regret so just your comments on that and also the story of how I believe it was his estranged wife at that time but wasn't she killed in a home invasion oh very tragically yes in fact um Good friends of ours knew Mrs. de Klerk, Marika de Klerk, and Marika de Klerk was apparently a, a, a very fine woman. Um, and uh, he betrayed her. Uh, de Klerk was involved in an adulterous relationship. He divorced his wife, and he married this other woman who had to divorce her husband. So it, it was a double divorce involved in this. And as people at the time pointed out, de Klerk has betrayed his party, the National Party, which was the most powerful political party in the country for decades, and after he had finished with it, was, it was non-entity and finished. Uh, he betrayed his political party. He betrayed his country. He betrayed his oath before God. He stood before God with his hand raised, uh, one hand raised, and the other hand the Bible, saying that in the name of the triune God, he swears to uphold all the laws and the constitution of South Africa. And immediately afterwards, he perjured himself. He ordered the police to no longer uh, apply the 
um, Suppression of Communism Act, Internal Security Act, and all the other laws. He started to allow Sabbath desecration uh, in violation of our laws, liberalizing our laws, allowing pornography, which had never been allowed in before, and things like this, trying to liberalize. He tried to legalize abortion, although our protests put that uh, to a temporary stop, and uh, only Mandela got that right several years later. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of talk that, that, and of course he betrayed his wife, and he also betrayed his church. When the Pope came here, John Paul, uh, de Klerk lined up and took the mass from the Pope. Now, uh, bearing in mind de Klerk comes from what is meant to be a Reformed Church background, uh, that's completely, <laughs> the Mass, oh, the Catholic Mass is, is blasphemy to any Protestant Christian. It suggests that Christ is being re, uh, re-sacrificed. And also, uh, the Reformed Church that he belonged to identifies the papacy as Antichrist. Uh, so he lined up and knelt down in front of the Pope and received the Mass from the Pope. Now, of course, what the Pope did was also wrong. The Pope gave both Nelson Mandela and the clerk uh, the Mass, uh, the, the wafer uh, for the Catholic Mass, which neither of them are Roman Catholic. Uh, none of us priests would be allowed to do that without um, losing their jobs and things like that. So uh, it, it was actually quite a bizarre thing. But the clerk did worse than that. Uh, he had as his general secretary a hideous man uh, who actually employed witch doctors to redesign the National Party's corporate image and who sacrificed uh, goats for uh, the dedication of a National Party office in Soweto before the 1994 elections and uh, had entrails of this sacrificed goat sprinkled over him. You know, these are excommunicatable offenses in any church with church discipline. But uh, th- this is why it was said the clerk betrayed his party, betrayed his country, betrayed his God and betrayed his wife. And uh, he certainly did that. And there was a lot of questions as to why Marika de Klerk was murdered. And uh, it was highly suspicious. And it was believed that she probably knew key things about the betrayal of South Africa. And it was considered necessary to get rid of her. Now, whether Mr. de Klerk knew about it ahead of time, was party to it, or whether other people high up in New World Order decide to dispense with her, we don't know, but there's no doubt uh, this was not just an accidental home invasion. She lived in a very secure complex, one of these gated communities with, with excellent security. And uh, the fact that she was targeted, what was the importance of her? Uh, so there's strong suspicion that New World Order had her murdered, assassinated, uh, tying up loose ends. Because uh, I, from what I know from people, and I've met Mr. Clerk uh, individually at at a Bible study meeting of good friends of ours. And um, if she was the dedicated Christian that I've been led to believe, uh, they probably couldn't trust her to keep quiet in the light of the treachery that her husband was involved in. So a few unanswered questions there, but lots of suspicion. Back to you, Andrew. That is fascinating information. So, um, Peter, let's uh, move on now to the uh, bulk of the show, which is the real story of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I know you've been doing a lot of research into this. Where would you like to start us off with this topic? Oh, well, um, Andrew, it's staggering. But uh, I had um, given to me a phenomenal report, which is uh, it's it's a massive um, research operation, but analysing the whole um, BBBEE um, vaccine mandates and so on. And, you know, right now in South Africa, we've got a government trying to push uh, mandatory vaccinations, vaccination passports and all that on us. And uh, the thing that this research report has shown is that 
Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have their fingerprints everywhere. So just consider this. I mean, uh, here's, here's just starting at the top. Do you know that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is the world's largest family foundation, to use their own quotes, has dispersed over $11 billion, that's $11.6 billion, to 471 universities worldwide in 66 countries. Now, we're talking about this is public figures between 2010-2019. So between 2010 and 2019, before the pandemic, scandemic, um, COVID cult was launched, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates had already funded 471 universities in 66 countries with $11.6 billion, which included, uh, surprisingly, um, universities of Atvodisrand and universities of Cape Town, uh, who got... 154 million, University of Atvodisrand, Cape Town, 126 million. But not only them, Stellenbosch University, Rhodes University in Port Elizabeth, Tswane University, UNISA, that's the largest correspondence university in the world, based in Pretoria, uh, the University of KwaZulu-Natal, University of Limpopo, University of Pretoria, University of the Free State. Uh, these are uh, major universities all over South Africa. It doesn't look like they left much out, especially focusing on the uh, medical sides of these universities. Now, these were not grants given without strings attached. These were all linked to promoting vaccines. And so the researcher whose um, material I've got in front of me here uh, made the observation that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation had managed to pimp out the university's medical faculties around the world, 471 universities of them, um, including in Africa, including in South Africa, and uh, have managed to turn the medical training of generations of medical professionals into brainwashing and indoctrination for promoting the vaccine propaganda. Now, considering the fact that they get billions out of the vaccines, you know that the average vaccine now is making 1,400% profit uh, for the companies that produce them. Bill Millen, the Gates uh, are on record uh, you can actually see the video clips which Bill Gates says publicly the best investments I ever made the best investment anyone could ever make was vaccines. Where else in the world can you turn a thousand percent profit? Indeed a thousand percent I mean not even diamond mining can turn a thousand percent profit uh, vaccines are more valuable than diamonds and gold. In fact I'm told now it's more like a thousand four hundred percent profit margin right now the write-up is just colossal and there's billions, uh, uh, th there's billionaires being made just out of the vaccines right now over the COVID cult. So here's the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation. I've actually got a list of where they are funding. So they've, they're funding entire medical faculties uh, at universities to make sure that they're all trained in vaccines. Now, when we've looked into what training do they receive, they learn nothing about the history of vaccines. They learn nothing about the composition of the vaccines. They learn nothing about the possible adverse reactions of vaccines or the, the actual ones, uh, which are documented. What they learn is what vaccines to give to what people at what time and when. And basically, they don't get an education vaccines to get an indoctrination. And it's, I, it, I think it's absolutely correct of this researcher to point out that the medical faculties in these universities have prostituted themselves to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gavi and the whole vaccine industry worldwide to Big Pharma. So what we also find amongst the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant recipients, 
Now, you would think South Africa is a long way away from where Bill and Melinda Gates live. But I have got pages here of recipients of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's um, generosity, to use um, their preferred term. It includes the Desmond and Leah Tutu Legacy Foundation, the Desmond Tutu Health Foundation, the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation, the Gracia Michelle Trust. Gracia Michelle was the third wife of communist dictator of Mozambique, Samora Michelle, who is the one who destroyed thousands of churches, had hundreds of thousands of Christians in prison concentration camps, had 75,000 Christians publicly executed, uh, the one who declared war on God, that, that's Samora Michelle. So his third wife, Gracie Michelle, who, by the way, married Nelson Mandela. Her third husband, his third wife. Um, so the Gracie Michelle Trust, they get a whole lot. The Mail and Guardian, which is a newspaper in South Africa. Why is he funding newspapers? Well, he funds newspapers all over the world too. Big pharma, big tech, big government, and big media all seem to be in bed with one another. So uh, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, obviously, the National Institute for Communicatable Diseases. So I don't know if you can see a conflict of interests here, but it would appear that the primary producers and beneficiaries of vaccines and the primary manufacturers of vaccines are funding the media who report on the need for vaccines, are funding the governments that are mandating the vaccines, and are also um, funding the universities that are trained the medical professionals to demonize anyone who questions vaccines. So now we see why anyone who questions the COVID cult salvation by vaccination narrative is getting demonized. So I've got in front of me also the vaccine death report, which is by David John Sorison and Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. And this is staggering. This is a phenomenal report. It gives us so many details which are being missing, but basically it documents how millions have already died from the COVID vaccine. Hundreds of millions have suffered serious adverse side effects. And that the graphene oxide in the vaccines is the perfect conductor for 5G. Interesting, a 5G also originated in Wuhan. And that graphene oxide is the best substance for brain manipulation. And the Chilean president has said that 5G will insert thoughts and feelings into everyone who's had the vaccine. Klaus Schwab has said that humanity will be lifted into one and the same consciousness. And that there is an agenda behind the vaccines and the 5G of total mind control, transhumanism, getting people to be genetically modified humans. The documentation is vaccine death report that I've got here by Drs. Vladimir Zelenko and David John Sorison also says that based on, and they document, the worldwide fraud of inflating COVID numbers, relabeling every death as COVID, and the PCR test, which produces false positives, more than 97% of the positives are false positives where there's no symptoms, so it, it inflates numbers as well. And the inventor of the PCR test said it was never designed for this purpose and it's completely inaccurate anyway. And um, you think of how many people have been grounded uh, who have been quarantined uh, at their own expense and so on on the basis of these totally unreliable PCR tests, which produce mostly false positives. And the media scaremongering and government propaganda, which is quite unprecedented, all is manipulated by a criminal network who have been buying up the entire health industry, or to use the words of this 
researcher uh, prostituting and pimping out the medical fraternities of major universities around the world, 471 universities in 66 countries. And that they also not only control the mainstream media, but they've bought up most governments and we've got documentation of this. They're suppressing every alternative treatment for COVID and seeking to push the narrative that the only solution to COVID is the vaccine. So the very people who produced the COVID virus and uh, gain of function made it more transmissible to humans and more contagious in the laboratory are the very same people who are promoting the vaccines and producing the vaccines and mandating the vaccines. And they are operating from the shadows. And one of the best ways to, to stop this criminal network is to present the evidence for this crime. That this is one of the greatest crimes of deception and of lying, uh, of um, misinformation. It's just absolutely uh, staggering. So, for example, he quotes from a whistleblower from Moderna who took a screenshot of an internal company notice labeled confidential for internal use only, showing there were 300,000 adverse effects reported in just three months from Moderna. So that's 300,000 adverse effects from the Moderna vaccine in three months. And this uh, quote is from uh, this confidential source. The team needs to effectively manage approximately 300,000 adverse event reports and 30,000 medical information requests in a three-month span to support the global launch of the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, then they're showing how the real number of adverse effects is 100 times higher than is being officially reported in the government uh, websites. And the famous Lazarus report from Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare in 2009 reported that only 1% of adverse effects from vaccines are being reported. And uh, there's a huge amount of evidence for the underreporting, and because of this criminal campaign of aggressive suppression of adverse effects data, the majority of the population is clueless at how much harm these vaccines can cause and are causing. And scientists who speaks out against vaccines are labeled domestic terrorists, and they are being attacked by a criminal vaccine cartel to suppress the truth. And doctors who see patients suffering and dying for the vaccines are naturally afraid of being held accountable. And so many are refusing to report it just out of fear, but also there's fear of being pressured. Then you've got Project Veritas, whistleblowers, doctors, nurses who are speaking out on what they're not reporting. Project Veritas is this journalistic organization exposing crime and corruption for years. And they've used hidden cameras, video footage, revealing what's going on behind closed doors. And they've been contacted by several doctors and nurses who uh, no longer want to be silent, that they have seen large numbers of patients coming with serious adverse reactions, heart failure, and they've noticed how authorities of the hospitals are not reporting any of these vaccine industries. So Dr. Maria Gonzalez, an emergency doctor from US Department of Health and Human Services, has expressed an outrage about this in the Phoenix Indian Medical Center. She discussed with a colleague how patient was vaccinated and and had a heart failure immediately afterwards. And she reports they're not going to blame the vaccine, but the doctor has an obligation to report that, doesn't he? But they're not reporting because the government wants to shove it under the mat. The government doesn't want to show us that this vaccine is full of toxic substances. And in an interview with uh, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, the nurse Jody O'Malley said, I've seen dozens of people come in with adverse reactions. 
And she said, none of these are being reported. And when asked, isn't she afraid for repercussions for speaking the truth? She said, I'm not afraid because my faith isn't God. This is evil at the highest level and it must be exposed. And uh, another doctor uh, that the nurse Jody was talking to uh, said, this this is uh, complete lies. I'm tired of it. What are we going to do? Because we're on the inside. I've been thinking about what can we do? I don't know, but there's so much I want to expose. Uh, but how do you do that? And then he was asked, do you know of Project Veritas? Now, there's apparently thousands of doctors and nurses who are uh, coming forward, speaking up and complaining. But you wouldn't know that from the lamestream Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the Communist News Network or Sly Magazine or the Useless News and World Report. And so uh, Project Veritas is seeking to expose this. And there's also a Stop World Control Network at StopWorldControl.com and Project Veritas is uh, Veritas Tips at protomail.com uh, and thousands of stories are now coming forward. So, for example, a local ABC news station uh, posted a request on Facebook for people to share their stories of unvaccinated loved ones who had died. They want to make a news story in this. Well, what happened was totally unexpected. In five days, a quarter of a million people, 250,000 people posted comments, but not about unvaccinated loved ones, but of vaccinated loved ones who died shortly after being injected or being disabled for life after receiving the vaccines. So that's a quarter of a million comments revealing a shocking death wave amongst the population. And this was a local in ABC news station in America. And it, it was absolutely staggering, heart-wrenching stories. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, everything. I had an uncle and cousin die from the jab. My sons-in-law's aunt died for it. Three more friends have died for it. That's one person. My uncle suffered a stroke due to blood clots and complications days after his second shot. Could you please do a story about these reactions? Uh, another one. My dad flatlined after a second dose of Moderna. And there's hundreds and hundreds of these sort of things. A patient of mine went into cardiac arrest immediately after receiving a second dose. We were unable to revive her. Also, if someone who lost a limb due to blood clot circulation issue after being fully vaccinated. And uh, another person, um, please do a story on all the ones who've died after being vaccinated. More than anyone will know because no one wants to tell the truth. Another one here. Uh, we, we have lost one of my vaccinated family members. Another one. My son's classmate lost her mother from heart complications after the vaccine. Another message, will you be doing any stories of the people who overcame COVID and have antibodies? Will you do any stories on the thousands that have debilitating side effects from the vaccine? Curious if you will be balanced journalist and media or not. Um, lost my mother 10 days ago when she got a second Pfizer jab. She couldn't swallow or talk correctly the very next day, was hospitalized, basically never woke up again. Was sent home on hospice after five days in hospital, died at home two days later. And it carries on. There's hordes and hordes of this. Another person had a stroke with my second vaccine. The doctors will not report it. My husband has been in terrible health situation since the second Pfizer vaccination. He passed away um, along with multiple trips to the ER, mini stroke, CAT scan, lesion growing in his brain, uh, told he could not drive. It's like new symptoms happening. No one dares to report the data as a vaccine reaction. There's a huge trust issue underneath the virus, and it's the vaccine. Another person, I lost a relative who got the shot and then got COVID and then died in the hospital. She knew she was reacting from the shot and didn't feel well after getting it. Her husband took it to the hospital. 
was never allowed to see her again. Neither him nor their daughters. She's a healthy 54-year-old. That was an Abbotsville Hospital, British Columbia. And so it carries on. So as of August the 28th, that's quite a while ago, VAERS reported 16,000 deaths and 450,000 adverse events just in the United States. The CDC uh, fraud experts said the number of deaths is at least five times higher than those. 150,000 reports have been rejected or scrubbed by the VAERS system. 150,000 reports just removed. The actual number of anaphylaxis is 50 to 120 times higher than that claimed by the Center for Disease Control, CDC. Vaccinated people who die within two weeks are listed as unvaccinated. How do you like that? So you get the vaccine, you die. Even after two weeks of the second vaccine, they're still calling unvaccinated. Uh, I presume they say, well, it's going to take a while to show the, uh, the results. So completely massaging and twisting, distorting the figures through it. Moderna uh, receiving hundreds of thousands of reports of adverse effects. And so the majority of the population is not even aware of the existence of systems where they can report vaccine adverse effects. We have never seen such aggressive censorship and propaganda uh, and the shaming and blaming of medical professionals who say anything against the vaccine. Uh, it's causing many in the medical community to just avoid reporting adverse effects because it could destroy their career and have them demonized. And then there's the fear of being held accountable after administering an injection that kills or disables patients. And so that prevents other medical personnel from reporting it. And there are so many doctors and nurses reporting that hospitals are hiding the negative vaccine res results. And so world experts are quoted in this vaccine death report as warning that this is a genocidal event. We are going to see in the next 10 years colossal amounts of deaths worldwide as a result of uh, this vaccine. And uh, this is still the earliest stages of it. And we haven't seen the worst of it coming, including inevitable sterility. And uh, so all of this is, is staggering. But to get back to the role of the Bill Mill and the Gates Foundation um, and their role in all this. So it, there's a Rothschild connection to it. It's quite fascinating. In South Africa, we've got businesses now coming out with, you've all got to get the vaccine. So the governments in South Africa, like in America, and I think Britain, are passing on the dirty work to the companies. And so, uh, lo and behold, a company that just started up March last year, March 2020, uh, called uh, Business for South Africa, B4SA, B number 4SA. So Business for South Africa was started by a very interesting character, a Martin Kingston, who's the chairman of this steering committee, which is an alliance of volunteers working with the South government to covet COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, there's a lot of interesting things here, but this Martin Kingston just happens to be the chief executive officer of Rothschild in South Africa. And he used to be the head of the Deutsche Bank in South Africa and was implicated in a lot of those scandals. And he was personally asked by our president, Tab, um, Sil Ramposa, to write the 1,200-page uh, report on how to fight COVID in this country. He is uh, networked on every level with business uh, group South Africa, uh, that's um, business South Africa uh, group as well, the business 
for South Africa and Business Union of South Africa. Uh, he's on all these different groups and um, Business Unity South Africa, Black Business Council, a top BBBEE advocate. And uh, he says our single focus is to support the national vaccine program. But where does he come from? Where's all his money come from? Well, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, Rothschild. I mean, he's still the chief executive officer uh, in Rothschild, South Africa. And he's the one who's authored this 1,200-page economic recovery strategy, which has the primary goal of get everyone vaccinated. He determined with the government the levels of lockdown and the practical mechanisms to apply lockdowns. This man's meant to be private enterprise, and yet he's the go-to person for the government. And he just happened to start his company the month before South Africa knew that the pandemic was coming here. And he's positioned in this perfect position for it. And they said he procured the first 90 million personal protection items uh, and uh, controlled the whole thing. He's got an office in Santon, an office in Parliament in Cape Town. Um, it's just staggering. They described the largest federation of business organizations. And he is completely and utterly interlinked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the vaccine people, the Rothschilds, and uh, just to see how you can get somebody like this who's meant to be, he's, he's meant to be uh, a businessman, but in fact, he's the government's main man organizing it, and he's the chief executive officer of Rothschild & Co. So, you know, global partner of the Rothschild Global Advisory, and uh, a person who had to leave Deutsche Bank when he was involved in a multi-billion dollar fraud where his wife was a chief beneficiary of uh, a transaction. Um, very intriguing uh, links, uh, one of the most powerful players in BBBEE, according to that's broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Affirmative Action. He's described as Mr. BBBEE, and also the main face for everyone from the Rothschilds onwards and Business Unity South Africa. And he's also been, and he still sits on the board of the South African Airways, which is going through scandals for having lost hundreds of billions of dollars. And uh, absolutely extraordinary. Um, his first wife was a daughter of Oliver Tambo, <laughs> uh, interestingly. Um, he is married into the ANC. Uh, each one of his wives have been involved in multiple, multiple corruption, state uh, scandals and so on. And uh, uh, right now, he's, um, uh, his second wife is the um, daughter of the late health minister uh, in this country, um, Mizzy Mang, uh, who's another one, the ANC stalwarts, and manages to be on many boards of companies and is a primary beneficiary of a lot of the COVID cult masquerade madness, PPPEE, that's personal protection equipment, which Kingston just happens to be providing for government, the primary organizer of government. And then you look at all the other people, the board members, they all are New World Order, globalist, Bill Melinda Gates, Rothschild, Trilateral Commission, Council of Foreign Relations, the whole deal. They, they, it's such a web. It's such an overlapping web from one side to the other. What we are dealing with here is like Business Unity South Africa. They're members. The Board of Trustees includes Anglo Gold, Ashanti, Investec, MTN, Rothschild, Southern Breweries, Sanlam. That's one of the biggest South uh,
Peter, you just uh, went quiet for a moment. I think it's reconnecting now, so uh, you can hear the beep. Hopefully, folks, we'll get Peter back. Uh, Peter, are you back with us? Let me have a look at the uh, Skype screen. Generally says if there's a problem. Uh, I can't see it. Peter, are you with us? Interesting how the line went down then. Um, just... Uh, just when he was uh, talking about certain issues, isn't it, folks? So, uh, let me see. Um, he's, uh, I'll try calling him back, but his green light's not on, so I don't know if they've cut off his connection at the other end. In which case, I'll uh, round out the show, but I'll continue to, uh, to try and get hold of him. Not sounding too promising, is it, folks? Let me have a look at the clock, see how much time that we have got left to cover. About another sort of eight minutes or so, so I'll continue to try and get Peter back. Uh, just let him know now in the message that uh, his call dropped. Um, yep, your call dropped. There we go. So, yeah, talking about the vaccines, talking about the different issues, so I will um, go over as well. Um, what I cover on the Monday show with Maleficus, uh, the Limes, which um, we always report the data. Peter mentioned the VAERS data in the US. Uh, in the UK, we have the MHRA data. And um, I'm going to go in a little bit deeper into this for those of you who haven't heard this before. I'm going to include the link in the post for this show because um, it's a government page www.gov.uk so this is a government page and at the top it says coronavirus COVID-19 vaccines adverse reactions okay a weekly report covering adverse reactions to approved COVID-19 vaccines and then below that you've got documents now the first two I don't tend to look at but this is what people refer to as the weekly summary of yellow card reporting uh, and there's two of those. There's an H. I think they're the same one because one of them's an HTML. The other one is a PDF. But then below that, you've got COVID-19 vaccine Pfizer analysis print. And then below that, you've got the same for AstraZeneca. Below that, Moderna. And below that, brand unspecified. These are all PDF files. And the interesting thing is, is once I tried to open it up when I was out on my phone. And uh, it wouldn't let you open it. You had to download it. And so, of course, then you've got to have some sort of PDF reader, presumably on your phone. Do you really want to download a 104-page PDF on your phone and try and navigate it? Uh, I would think that's uh, quite difficult. Uh, and I wonder if that was done by design because a lot of people access these things on their phones these days. Let me have another go at calling Peter while I'm speaking. So you'll hear the beeps, I'm afraid. So we'll go back to the COVID-19 vaccine Pfizer analysis print. Now, before we click on it, it says 104 pages. So we click on it now and you have to wait for it to... The person whom you're trying to reach is currently on a... There you go. Doesn't sound too promising, does it, folks? Well, uh, you're stuck with me for the rest of the show, so I'll do my best. Um, so I've clicked on the Pfizer one. Uh, and again, the link will be in the post for this show to the main page that you link to each one. And um, it... Um, let's see what it says at the top. A report of a suspected ADR, that's an adverse reaction does not necessarily mean that it was caused by the vaccine, only that the reporter has a suspicion it may have. Underlying or previously undiagnosed illness 
unrelated to vaccination can also be factors in such reports. The relative number and nature of reports should therefore not be used to compare the safety of different vaccines. So it's always one-way traffic, isn't it? It's always uh, slanted to, to say the vaccine's great and you shouldn't doubt it in any way. And that should get people to be suspicious. Um, never in... You know, in history, have I seen an event? Well, there's maybe one event that's slanted that um, it's against the law to talk about in several countries, and you can go to prison. But we won't get into that here. So what I do is uh, in the Pfizer um, document, if you're following this and you've clicked on it yourself, you have to drag uh, your way down to the bottom. So I've got all the way down to the bottom, and as I'm looking at it now, it gives you the total reactions for drug. And that's 363,704. And then you've got below that the total reports. And that's 128,734. So what they're saying is 128,734 people had an adverse reaction to the Pfizer vaccine. And those adverse reactions totaled 363,704. So, you know, about three times the... Uh, the amount of people who've had a reaction have had more than one reaction. So on average, you're talking about three reactions per person. But obviously, some people might have had one reaction. Some people might have had eight, nine, ten. We don't know. Um, and then next to that, you've got the total fatal outcome reports. And that's down as 597. So just sort of getting into that to see how it works. Because on the Monday show, I give you the aggregate figure. So what I do before the show is I open each of these four reports. I scroll down to the bottom, I add up the total report figure at the bottom, and I add up the total fatal outcome report figure, and that's when I come up with my aggregate figure for you, but the links are in the post uh, for the show, as will be in this one, the link to the government page that you can click on the individual reports and look at for yourself and, you know, add it up and make sure that I added them up properly, which uh, I always um, triple check, folks. So I'm confident that uh, I'm doing that correctly. So uh, as of um, Monday, when I broadcast the line is with uh, Malefica Scott, we've got, I'm opening the, the, the link to give you the aggregate figure again, We've got 1,766 deaths and 383,644 people injured from the vaccines. Um, and that's, again, from this government website. So if we go back to the page that will be in the post for this show, where you've got the, the two uh, yellow cards at the top, and then you've got the analysis prints of the four vaccines well three and then brand unspecified which uh, basically means that they didn't uh, write down what the brand was um, uh, for the person who had the uh, the reaction um, below that you've got details and this is very interesting because I, I really wish I'd have kept screen prints of these oh Peter's coming back in let's go to him Peter, are you back with us? I've been boring the audience with my uh, vaccine <laughs> reporting to try and fill it up, but we've still got a few minutes, so Sorry. I don't know if we were attacked, Sorry. but you take it wherever um, you would like. I, well, I didn't know where, where we got lost from, because uh, what is the last you were at? Because uh, I thought you, the information I was giving now was important. I didn't know when, yeah. we, when we... How long ago did that happen? It was about, um, about uh, five minutes ago. Uh, or six, seven minutes, something like that. Right. Basically, you were talking about the the uh, web of deception uh, 
and the fact that all these things like the Council on Foreign Relations and things like that are all linked together. So if you go back to that sort of area, if you can, and uh, we can go on for as long as you need. Okay, so basically what we've got is conflicts of interest. And who would have thought the very people producing the vaccine and the ones producing the virus uh, are overlapped and networked together and that the ones who are buying up the media who are giving the narrative and the propaganda and the indoctrination and the panic-mongering and the scaremongering, uh, that they also own not just governments who are passing the laws, uh, but many of the companies which are enforcing this mandate amongst their employees uh, and also the medical fraternities and universities where they have actually bought up and prostituted medical uh, uh, faculties and universities all over the world to indoctrinate the next generation of doctors and nurses in this propaganda for vaccines. So what we're dealing with here is corruption, corruption on a very high level, and the marriage, if you can use that word, uh, between big tech, big government, big media, and big pharma. Uh, It is absolutely staggering. And all these webs seem to overlap over and over again in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who also happen, coincidentally, uh, to be the biggest funders of the World Health Organization, or what we now call the Wuhan Health Organization. And that's, they give more than even the United States of America, more than any government. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation basically own the World Health Organization as the biggest funders of it, and a vast amount of universities around the country, certainly the medical faculties, 471 of those uh, universities all over the world, 471 universities in six, six countries, billion worth. Absolutely staggering. I think that this requires a lot more investigation because what we're seeing is something extremely sinister and extremely dangerous. And especially when you think that the Wuhan virus and the 5G also comes from Wuhan. So here we've got the virus comes from Wuhan, the 5G comes from Wuhan. Is this a coincidence? What we are dealing with is not just governments trying to control our lives as George Orwell predicted in 1984, but governments that want to control our minds and our thoughts and our emotions through drugs, as depicted in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, written in the 1930s. This is all coming to place right now. This is more incredible than the most dysfunctional uh, depiction of dystopian society in the future. And we need to resist it. We need to expose because it's a truth that will set you free. Light is more powerful than darkness. Truth is more powerful than error. We need to expose this. We need to be putting the light of truth and facts and research on these matters. And as has often been said, facts do not fear investigation. Truth does not fear investigation. And we need to be those who are standing up, exposing this and standing for truth. So back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Um, So uh, anything else that you would like to talk about? Otherwise, feel free to give us your contact information and where people can find your work. Yes, well, of course, we've just touched the edge of it, but I think enough to give people an idea of what we're dealing with. Um, On our website, frontlinemissionsa.org, you'll find more links of the different things I'm involved in, exposing persecution of the church and standing up for uh, Christian freedom and civilization in Africa in particular. My personal email is peter at frontline.org.za. I'd like to hear from listeners, peter at frontline.org.za or our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Thank you, Andrew. 
thank you so much, Peter, and thank you for bearing with us and coming back on. I tried you two or three times, and it showed that I thought there was an internet outage where you are, so thank you for calling back in. What a strange hour, folks. I looked down the, about half an hour ago while I'm recording the show, and the heel of my shoe was on the floor that I'm wearing, and that seems to have dropped off, so I'll be off to the shoe repair man to get that put back on. Very odd things going on. I don't think I can blame the powers that should not be for that, uh, but uh, certainly I'm suspicious with regard to Peter dropping at such a critical part of the broadcast, but as always, Peter did fantastic work. So I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next Next week, I want to thank all of you for listening to the real story of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'll be back with you all tomorrow, and until then, folks, have a wonderful day, and bye for now.